Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. All right, welcome to Inside Politics. I'm Jim Acosta, in for Dana Bash. We're going to break out of that uh, hearing in Fulton County uh, for just a short while because any moment now, President Biden will speak on the report of death of one of Vladimir Putin's top critics, Alexei Navalny. Vice President Kamala Harris already making the case, making it clear, she says, that Russia is responsible. CNN's Arlette Sines is with us from the White House. CNN's Matthew Chance is in London. Uh, this, this has just been an earthquake uh, globally, uh, learning about the death of Alexei Navalny. Uh, let's start with Matthew first. Uh, Matthew, what do we know right now? Well, I mean, look, we haven't had official confirmation yet, at least from the family that they've been informed that Alexei Navalny is is dead. I mean, that's come from the prison authorities in the far north of Russia. Apparently, uh, this leading prominent opposition figure in Russia um, hadn't complained uh, to the court that it appeared in earlier um, about any health problems affecting him. But the prison authorities say that he went for a walk, his daily exercise, sort of outside in the prison yard, uh, and then complained of feeling ill and collapsed and lost consciousness. They called ambulance crews to the prison, uh, but those ambulances have told Russian state, state television that they tried for an hour and a half to revive Alexei Navalny, but to no avail. They, they, he, he didn't respond. Um, and so we're waiting now for the, for the family to get a lawyer and get their representatives to that, that prison colony in Russia's far north a very remote place uh, with a very hard regime in force there to try and sort of get some sort of facts that they can digest and that they can accept about the fate of this prominent uh, opposition leader. Th- there's been not much response yet from the Kremlin. Um, the Russian uh, authorities have said that there are investigations underway um, involving obviously medical research and, and doctors to try and establish the cause of death. And until then, they essentially say, look, it's wrong to jump to conclusions and blame anyone for this death. But I think the truth is, Jim, that many people inside Russia and around the world are already laying blame for this at the sort of the door of the Kremlin. Because, of course, Alexei Navalny was in you know, Russian custody when he died. Uh, and of course, it wouldn't be the first time that, that uh, you know, he's, he's you know, been uh, severely affected or you know, injured um, you know, by his uh, by his opponents. And so, look, I mean, this is, you know, something that is uh, shocking, but it's not altogether surprising, given how many other opposition figures have met sticky ends in Russia. Right. And Matthew, I mean, obviously, Alexei Navalny would be alive today if he were not thrown uh, into one of uh, Putin's prisons. I mean, it, it stands to reason that that would certainly be the case or almost certainly be the case. 
Uh, let me go to Arlette Sines over at the White House right now. Arlette, um, obviously the president uh, is going to be speaking in just a few moments. We may have to break in as you're speaking, but uh, tell us a little bit about how the administration has responded so far. They've been careful uh, to some extent um, in not saying that things are crystal clear as to what has occurred and, and how Alexei Navalny died, but they are placing blame, placing responsibility on the head of Vladimir Putin. Yeah, Jim, that's right. U.S. officials really have been quite cautious in saying that they have yet to confirm these reports that Alexei Navalny has died while imprisoned in Russia. But we are expecting any minute now to hear from President Biden. Those remarks were scheduled for noon, so hopefully we will be hearing from the president soon. Really, it will be his first opportunity to comment in any way on the reports of these uh, of Navalny's death. But it does come as we have heard top U.S. officials, including Vice President Kamala Harris and Secretary of State, Antony Blinken saying that even while they await confirmation for this, they believe Russia is to blame. Take a listen to the vice president as she spoke at the Munich Security Conference a bit earlier today. If confirmed, this would be a further sign of Putin's brutality. Whatever story they tell, let us be clear, Russia is responsible now, both Vice President Harris and Secretary of State Antony Blinken took some time to meet privately with the wife of Alexei Navalny, Yulia. And you'll remember that she gave some remarks, the, the wife of Alexei Navalny gave some remarks at the Munich Security Conference where she said that if this is true, that Russia and Russian President Vladimir Putin will be punished. Now, back in 2021, President Biden face to face warned Putin about uh, what would happen if Navalny was to die while he was in prison. The president told reporters in Geneva shortly after his meeting that he told Putin that there would be devastating consequences were Navalny to die while he was in Russian prison. The big question now is how exactly the U.S. and its allies would respond. Uh, we've seen the U.S. impose these sanctions alongside allies uh, throughout Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So question is, could there be additional sanctions? Almost certainly anything that would be built as a response likely would be done uh, alongside allies. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan earlier today said that they would be uh, consulting with various countries and then just determining the steps forward. But the White House today is watching these reports with a lot of concern. And pretty soon we'll hear from President Biden uh, about his thoughts, whether they've received any official confirmation, but also if he can outline any uh, action response that the U.S. might take in this matter. Yeah, it is a very critical moment. Uh, right now between the U.S. and Russia. Uh, Arlette Sines, uh, thank you very much. And while we wait for President Biden, again, he is going to speak at any moment. We'll bring that to you. But in the meantime, let's take you to New York because we are standing by for a ruling that could unravel Donald Trump's pride and joy, the business empire his family spent decades building. CNN's Paula Reed is talking to her sources, joins me now. Uh, Paula, we've been spending so much time talking about what's going on down in Fulton County. There could be a huge decision out of New York today. What are you hearing? Well, Jim, as you know, among Trump's many legal issues, this case here in New York, this is the civil fraud trial. This is the most personal. This is something that strikes at the heart of his family business and his identity as a successful businessman. Now, last fall, Judge Arthur Engron found Trump liable for fraud, finding that he had lied about the value of some of his assets to get more favorable terms from banks and insurance companies. Then what followed was a months-long trial. And you may remember 
Trump attended much of that trial. He even testified along with three of his adult children, Ivanka, Eric, and Don Jr. But Trump was also very combative during these proceedings. He attacked the judge. He attacked the judge's clerk. He frequently attacked the attorney general, Letitia James, who brought this case. He even violated a gag order that just restricted him from attacking members of the court staff. Now, that trial focused on some other charges and possible penalties. And here, the New York attorney general is seeking a penalty of $370 million and wants to bar Trump from doing business in the state of New York. The so-called corporate death penalty is rarely enacted here in the state of New York, especially when there's not a clear victim. That was one of the lines of Trump's defense, that no one really lost money here and they continued doing business. But this is why Trump is watching this so closely, Jim. I mean, this is a case, you think about it, hundreds of millions of dollars, in addition to the tens of millions of dollars the jury just awarded E. Jean Carroll. This is a case that potentially, depending on what the judge decides today, could drain his coffers and again, possibly prevent him from doing business in the state. Yeah, it could be a devastating blow to Donald Trump. All right, Paula Reed. We're going to keep our eyes on that as well. Thanks so much. And now to Georgia. You're looking at live pictures right now of a Fulton County uh, courtroom. A judge is uh, hearing testimony to determine if the district attorney spearheading Donald Trump's election racketeering case in Georgia should be disqualified because of an alleged inappropriate relationship with the lead prosecutor there. Uh, CNN's Laura Coates is outside the courthouse. Uh, you've been watching this the last couple of days. Laura, I feel like we've been on a roller coaster ride. I mean, about 24 hours ago, you and I were talking <laughs> yeah. about this, and it seemed as though Fonnie Willis might be in some trouble, and then she walked into that courtroom yesterday. I mean, the eyes of the nation were on her. It was fascinating to watch, and then she did a pretty effective job of defending herself. What's happening inside now? What are you seeing? I mean, the adrenaline rush that was yesterday really continued into the courtroom today. Even though she was not there, we have been standing by to see who was going to testify next. We already know that she was not going to be in the courtroom already this morning. They feel that she had already done her due diligence and essentially undermined the case against her to disqualify her. Now it's up to the judge to ultimately decide that issue. But where we are now instead is having her father. I mean, first of all, imagine that. Her father is now testifying. Why have they brought him in? In part to try to corroborate their case against her that suggests that she didn't really feel unsafe in her home, that she instead wanted to have some kind of a love shack waiting outside of her home, having to sweep the area every hour on the hour for bombs with dogs and beyond. So he really described a real safety concern. He also described that he himself was unaware of any relationship between Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade until, frankly, the rest of the world knew it. Now, they tried to poke holes in that and undermine his credibility, and they were befuddled and incredulous at the thought that he did not know about that. But he reminded them, as a father, that he also did not share his love life with his daughter and vice versa, even naming a person that she was um, in a relationship with prior to Nathan Wade, who he was more familiar with. Now, we have a long way to go here to actually prove what is at stake in this case. But I'll tell you, Fonnie Willis yesterday, I want to remind everyone in this moment, she reminded everyone, despite this qualification leveled against her, she is not the one on trial. I'm right, Bill. It's, it's like a, a woman doesn't have the right to keep her private life private. And I'm speaking on this because there have been all these in, intimations. You've been intrusive into people's personal lives. You're confused. You think I'm on trial. These people are on trial for trying to steal an election in 2020. I'm not on trial, no matter how hard you try to put me on trial. 
And she's right. She's not on trial. She is not a criminal defendant, but she is an, a prosecutor who is facing disqualification. Why? Because they are alleging that she financially benefited from her relationship with Nathan Wade, the lead prosecutor. Now, in order to prove that, you have to actually show that conflict of interest created the opportunity not to have a fair trial for any of the defendants in this case. Remember, four have already pleaded guilty. They have a high bar to meet, and it's their responsibility to actually prove that. Now, one more point, Jim. There was a lot of discussion about cash. The father was asked a great deal about cash. She was asked a great deal about cash. Nathan Wade was asked about cash. I mean, cash apparently rules everything around us, okay? The issue here, why they were saying it, was because of, there was no records of repayment, that there was not the actual physical receipts, and they were trying to undermine the statement that she had cash on hand for that reason. But at the end of the day, it's not her burden to prove. Yeah. A lot of us still use cash. I mean, you know, it's not that old-fashioned. Maybe it's a little old-fashioned, but, you know. Cash is king with a lot of folks. I'm glad you said that because I am (laughs) selling Girl Scout cookies, Jim Acosta. I I will leave them in your office. I'll have a whole variety. Wonderful. Noted. Thank you so much. There's a big old envelope waiting for you, Laura. All right. Thank you very much, Laura. Appreciate it. (laughs) Uh, We are standing by to hear from President Biden about the report of death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Uh, Very important comments coming from the president just moments from now. We'll also talk to our panel about everything that's been unfolding in these courtrooms uh, from Atlanta, New York. Stay with us. That's coming up. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Another busy day of Trump legal news, uh, trials, tribulations. So let me bring in my panel here in D.C. We have CNN's Kristen Holmes and former federal prosecutor Shan Wu and CNN legal analyst Norm Eisen joins me from Seattle. Hi, Norm. Uh, let me start with Shan first. Shan, you're in the studio. Uh, yesterday, we were talking about with this with Laura Coates uh, just a few moments ago. It seemed like Bonnie Willis might have been in a little bit of trouble around this time yesterday. But then she came into the courtroom and it just it seemed to flip. She, she really, I, I think, did an effective job of defending herself and reminding everybody, oh, by the way, I'm not on trial here. It's Donald Trump yeah. <laughs> and these co-defendants who are on trial. 
Yeah, I thought uh, it was a gutsy move. Uh, I wouldn't have counseled her to do it. <laughs> uh, it seemed like impulsive on her part, um, yeah. but she did a great job. Uh, and she really came across very strong and reminded the judge and the world as to what the real issue was. And the, the disqualification lawyers have just done a really poor job. I mean, they've been blundering around. They ran into wall after wall just on trying to get in their evidence. And they're so consumed <clears throat> with the salacious details They've completely lost sight, sometimes the judge has too, that the focus was on trying to follow the money and see if they could show that Willis has a conflict of interest because she's benefiting from it. That's been completely lost. Yeah. And Norm, there was this whole, whole conversation about cash, and I was just talking about this with Laura a few moments ago, people using cash. And so let's play a little bit of that, talk about it on the other side. When you got cash to pay him back on these trips, would you go to the ATM? No, lady. You would not go to the ATM? No. Okay. So um, Fulton County pays you direct deposit, I assume? Yes. Fulton okay. County and the uh, state of Georgia both pay me direct deposits. Okay. So the cash that you would pay him, you wouldn't get it out of the bank? I have money in my house. You do not know where that money came from? I do know where it came from. It came from my sweat and tears. I'm asking if you have any proof that you paid him any I mean, of these The monies. proof is what I just told you. Now, Norm, how do you make sense of all this? Can you? Uh, Jim, uh, uh, yes. Uh, Jim, uh, my dad, uh, to the day he died, carried a large wad of cash in his pocket at all times in case he needed it and had more at home. He was a migrant to this country and his life taught him that you needed that. I thought D.A. Willis was absolutely If she had been getting secret payments somehow, that might create a conflict. She hit the ball out of the park on that. She was credible. I believed her. And uh, there's no longer any grounds that I can see possible even for disqualification. here. Yeah, I mean, Shan, I mean, the absence of evidence is not evidence. I mean, isn't that I mean, part of this. And uh, at the end of the day, if the judge were to disqualify uh, Fonnie Willis, what I mean, what would your reaction be to that? Uh, I'd be shocked. I don't really think he has the record yeah. to do that. There just hasn't been any testimony about it. I mean, it'd be a huge setback uh, for the case. You know, some people are saying just, just the sort of public image problems a setback for the case. I don't think so. This will get through it, and she'll continue to prosecute the case. But there's just such a dearth of evidence at this point. It's really hard to imagine how he reaches that conclusion. Yeah. And Kristen, I can imagine yesterday, you know, when Trump had the Alvin Bragg case, the hush money case, uh, scheduled that he was not happy when he came out of that courtroom yesterday. And that was that was apparent when he was speaking to the cameras. But I have to assume that when he got into the limo or whatever and was watching this uh, Fonnie Will stuff unfold down in Atlanta, that perhaps there there might have been some sense of relief. But I have to think all of that just went away throughout the course of the afternoon. Oh, he must team, be frustrated. Again. His, his team was very happy watching the yeah. testimony unfold yesterday. He was in the limo. He was on the plane watching it and kind of understanding the salaciousness of the questions. Uh, but again, now, not so much. We've already heard from him saying that he doesn't think the lawyers did a good job of test of questioning her. The other thing that I want to point out is that you, know, you talk about how is the case impacted by all the damages that we've seen personally. That's how Donald Trump does everything. Everything is playing down in the court of public opinion. It's how he wants this to play out. He doesn't want this to be in a legal court. He wants to smear her and put her on trial, as he has done with various judges, various courtroom uh, you know, clerks. That is how he handles all of these legal cases. And sometimes it works. I mean, that's politically, politically, not legally. Right. Yeah. It works for him. Up until now. Yeah. Right.
And, and Norm, I mean, we also have, we're, we're awaiting this really huge decision out of New York right now, Judge, uh, Judge Engoron, um, in the uh, civil fraud uh, trial um, and, and the damages that might be assessed there. What's your sense of what we might see by the end of today? It sounds like we might see a whopper of a ruling. Uh, that's right, Jim. Uh, we know that Judge Gordon already found partial summary judgment that Donald Trump conducted his business in a fraudulent nature by grossly inflating the uh, data about his properties. You can't say a condo that's about 10,000 square feet is over 30,000 square feet. And the same thing with Seven Springs, Mar-a-Lago, 40 Wall Street, many properties. So we're expecting that the judge will find additional fraud on the other six counts against Donald Trump. The evidence was powerful. Substantial damages of disgorgement. Uh, perhaps the corporate death penalty, take away the business certificates. And Jim, it's very powerfully connected to that Alvin Bragg case because one is a civil fraud case, but Alvin Bragg has said he's prosecuting Donald Trump for fraud in uh, making these hush money payments that corrupted an election, that it's an election interference case because uh, if Donald Trump uh, had not made those payments, another sex scandal after Access Hollywood could have changed the outcome of that election. So New York has not been kind to Donald Trump and that is a very serious one-two punch. The criminal case going forward yesterday, a big civil verdict expected today. Yeah, and Shane, getting back to the question that Christian raises, you know, what works politically, what works legally, you know, we, we might, the, the curve may be bending all the way around and it, the, these things may not be working legally. I mean, he, right. he did put this on Truth Social about Judge Engoron. Uh, Judge, Judge Engoron wrongfully ruled against me before the trial even started. We've already won the no jury Engoron case. I, you know, Poking these judges in the eye over and over again repeatedly. I mean, it may get some laughs for him out on the campaign trail and he can whip up a crowd with this kind of stuff and it plays over on conservative media and so on. How does this work with any of these judges? And I, they'll say, oh, well, we'll appeal. How will it work with any of those judges? I mean, just, <laughs> right. you know, and at some point, this may blow back on him politically. Yeah, yeah, and I think, you know, speaking of that curve, I think in the beginning what he's doing is he's, doing the PR political strategy and his lawyers need to back it up in court with something legal. They've completely been unable to do that. So now all he's left with is the campaign public image strategy. And you know, one of the questions of no victim in this civil trial coming up, usually they say, oh, maybe there won't be the civil death penalty because of that. But actually this whole pattern of constant fraud is a good reason to impose that. Yeah, and Kristen, let's uh, play, uh, Nikki Haley uh, was talking about this, uh, I believe yesterday about all these court cases. And, and she has started, I mean, we've been monitoring all this, noticing this from Nikki Haley in recent weeks that she's stepped up her rhetoric on all this. Let's listen to her uh, talk about all these trials for Trump. He's got his first court case March 25th. March and April, he's in one case, court case. May and June, he's in another. He's already said he's going to spend most of this year in a courtroom, not on a campaign trail. That's not a way you win. Yeah, I mean, she's talking about it like it's a liability. He thinks it's, it's helpful to him. The flip side of this, though, is, Kristen, if he has the nomination wrapped up before even the Alvin Bragg case gets started. Which they expect. Which they expect. We're then in a general election campaign mode, are we not? 
and maybe going to the courthouse and ranting and raving. How does that Absolutely. work in the suburbs of Philadelphia? How does that work in With the suburbs With independent voters, of right. That's the big question. And nobody knows the answer to that. I mean, yeah. they were actually concerned that it wouldn't play this well with Republicans. At first, yeah. they thought that, yes, it'll help with fundraising, it'll boost our numbers. But aren't people going to get tired of this constant in and out of courtrooms? Turns out, Republicans didn't get tired of it. They yeah. voted for him. It seems like he's likely to be the GOP nominee. However... Yet changes when you're in a general election. Who are you trying to court? You're trying to court new voters. You're trying to uh, court independent voters, not just your base, not just Republicans who want to follow the same ideology. That's very hard to do, one, if you're in a courtroom the whole time, and two, to sell yourself as someone who is in a courtroom all the time and also wants to be president. So that's a difficult line that he's going to have to watch, and his campaign is aware of that. They know that this is not necessarily going to play out the same way it did in the primaries. So the question becomes, does he continue to go to these uh, hearings and so on when but he's he has not required to. Yeah, to. But, but I see yeah. the, the problem is that moving forward. Uh, you can see uh, the cameras are on. It looks like in the Roosevelt Room inside the White House. Uh, we'll see the president uh, come out to the cameras any moment from now. We'll break in. When that happens, stay with us. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. We are standing by for President Biden to speak on the apparent death of another Putin critic, Alexei Navalny. His wife took the stage at the Munich Security Conference uh, just a short while ago, in just moments after the Russian prison service announced his sudden death. I thought about it quite a while. I thought, should I stand here before you or should I go back to my children? And then I thought, what would have Alexei done in my place? And I'm sure that he would have been standing here on this stage. And this just into CNN and Navalny. Spokesperson says reports of his death are, quote, most likely true, adding that the Russian opposition leader's family will travel tomorrow to the Siberian uh, penal colony where he was in prison. And I want to bring in seen uh, Jill Doherty. She's an adjunct professor at Georgetown University. She served as CNN's Moscow bureau chief for many years. Jill, uh, it's hard to decide where to start on this. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Navalny's uh, apparent death, what it means for Russia, what it means for the world? You know, he was a complex person. And I think um, it's Alexei Navalny, the person, very brave in his role in what he did in modern Russia. But I think also it's his legacy. It's his ideas. Uh, it's his criticism of corruption that really struck home to Russians. And so I think now, you know, what will the Kremlin do? You already see people coming into the streets and laying flowers in many cities across Russia mm. and outside of Russia where uh, Russians have fled and they are bringing flowers in memorial to Alexei Navalny. The Kremlin appears to be allowing to, that to happen. They're not cracking down on it. And that could be because, you know, um, there's a lot, there could be a lot of pent up emotion and anger. So the Kremlin could be letting out the steam on that. 
but I think they're going to have a really difficult time in what I would believe they want to do, which is essentially disappear his memory, you know, just make him disappear. And right. in the context. Alexei Navalny was a light in Putin's darkness, and that had to be snuffed out. Is that essentially what we're talking about here? From Putin's standpoint. Well, I mean, that's putting it, I think, poetically. Um, I do. But I do think he was a real threat, again, because of his ideas and his ability to communicate and really connect with Russians. Not everybody supported him as a political uh, figure. Not everybody wanted him to become president or even mayor of Moscow. But his ideas about what another Russia could look like, you know, a Russia without Putin, a Russia without a lot of corruption and a system that is built on that corruption. I think that's the thing that resonates. And the Kremlin will have a very difficult time controlling any of that. And it was the image of uh, Navalny and his beautiful family. Uh, I've spoken to his family before. They are, they are just lovely people. And this image that he offered up to the Russian people, of the, that, that they could be a, a peaceful, democratic nation and not this violent police state. Yeah, I mean, his image is, you know, handsome guy, beautiful wife, beautiful family, as opposed to Putin, who is an older guy, divorced, with stories about, you know, a, a, a wife and uh, children out of wedlock, let's put it that way. That is, it's a, it's a completely different image. Yeah. And Putin never wanted to even use his All right, Jill, I have to cut in here he for the president. I, uh... I'm heading off to East Palestine in, in a moment, but I wanted to say a few things this morning about uh, Alexei Navalny. You know, like millions of people around the world, I'm literally both not surprised and outraged by the news. Reported death of Alexei Navalny. He bravely stood up uh, to the corruption, the violence, and the, the, all the all the bad things of the Putin government was doing. In response, Putin had him poisoned. He had him arrested. He had him prosecuted for fabricated crimes. He sentenced him to prison. He was held in isolation. Even all that didn't stop him from calling out Putin's lies. Even in prison, he was a powerful voice for the truth, which is kind of amazing when you think about it. And he could have lived safely in exile after the assassination attempt on him in 2020 which nearly killed him, I might add. And, but he, uh, he was traveling outside the country at the time. Instead, he returned to Russia. Returned to Russia, knowing he'd likely be imprisoned or even killed if he continued his work. But he did it anyway, because he believed so deeply in his country, in Russia. Reports of his death, if they're true, and I have no reason to believe it or not, Russian authorities are going to tell their own story. But make no mistake. Make no mistake, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. Putin is responsible. What has happened to Navalny is yet more proof of Putin's brutality. No one should be fooled, not in Russia, not at home, not anywhere in the world. Putin does not only target his citizens of other countries, as we've seen what's going on in Ukraine right now. He also inflicts terrible crimes on his own people. And as people across Russia and around the world are mourning Navalny today because he was so many things that Putin was not. He was brave. He was principled. 
It was dedicated to building a Russia where the rule of law existed and where it applied to everybody. Navalny believed in that Russia, that Russia. He knew it was a cause worth fighting for and obviously even dying for. This tragedy reminds us of the stakes of this moment. We have to provide the funding so Ukraine can keep defending itself against Putin's vicious onslaughts and war crimes. You know, there was a bipartisan Senate vote that passed overwhelmingly in the United States Senate to fund Ukraine. Now, as I've said before, and I mean this in a literal sense, history is watching. History is watching the House of Representatives. The failure to support Ukraine at this critical moment will never be forgotten. It's going to go down in the pages of history. It really is. It's consequential. And the clock is ticking. And this has to happen. We have to help now. You know, we have to realize what we're dealing with with Putin. All of us should reject the dangerous statements made by the previous president that invited Russia to invade our NATO allies if they weren't paying up. He said if an ally did not pay their dues, he'd encourage Russia to, quote, do whatever the hell they want. I guess I should clear my mind here a little bit and not say what I'm really thinking. But let me be clear. This is an outrageous thing for the president to say. I can't fathom. I can't fathom from Truman on. They're rolling over in their graves here in this. As long as I'm president, America stands by our sacred commitment to our NATO allies, as they have stood by their commitments to us repeatedly. Putin and the whole world should know if any adversary were to attack us, our NATO allies would back us. And if Putin were to attack a NATO ally, the United States will defend every inch of NATO territory. Now's the time for even greater unity among our NATO allies to stand up to the threat that Putin's Russia poses. You know, I send my deepest condolences to Alexei's staff and supporters who are going to continue his work despite this loss, despite all of Putin's desperate attempts to stamp out the opposition. And most of all, to his family, especially to his wife, his daughter, and his son, who have already sacrificed so much for their family and a shared dream for a better future for Russia. So I just want to say God bless Alexei Navalny. His courage will not be forgotten, and I'm sure it will not be the only courage we see coming out of Russia in the near term. Thank you. I'll be happy to take a couple questions. Sir, first, was this an assassination? The answer is that we don't know exactly what happened, but there is no doubt that the death of Navalny was a consequence of something that Putin and his, and his thugs did. And to be clear, you warned Vladimir Putin when you were in Geneva of devastating consequences if Navalny died in Russian custody. What consequences should he and Russia face? That was three years ago. In the meantime, they faced a hell of a lot of consequences. They've lost and or had wounded over 350,000 Russian soldiers. They've made them in a position where they've been subjected to great We're looking at a whole number of options. That's all I'll say right now. Is there anything you can do to get ammunition to the Ukrainians without a supplemental from Congress? No, but it's about time they step up, don't you think? Instead of going on a two-week vacation, two weeks, they're walking away. Two weeks. What are they thinking? My God, this is bizarre. 
and it's just reinforcing all the concern. What are these guys doing? What are they doing? Sir, how concerned are you about the anti-satellite capability that Russia is developing? And what is your administration planning to do in response? First of all, there is no nuclear threat to the people of America or anywhere else in the world with what Russia is doing at the moment, number one. Number two, anything that they're doing and or they will do relates to satellites and space and damaging those satellites potentially. Number three, I, there is no evidence that they have made a decision to go forward with doing anything in space either. So what we found out, there was a capacity to launch a system in the space that could theoretically do something that was damaging. Hadn't happened yet, and uh, my expect I, my hope is it will not. Thank you all. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you, Mr. President. Switching gears for a moment, have the Israelis presented a credible evacuation plan for the nearly 1.5 million displaced Palestinians sheltering in Rafah? And what would the consequences be for Israel if they move ahead with a full-scale ground invasion without clear measures to protect civilians there? Well, first of all, I've had extensive conversations with the Prime Minister of Israel over the last several days, almost an hour each. And uh, I've made the case, and I feel very strongly about it, that there has to be a, uh, a temporary ceasefire to get the prisoners out, to get the hostages out. And that is underway. I'm still hopeful that that can be done. And in the meantime, uh, I don't anticipate, I'm hoping, that uh, you, that the uh, Israelis will not make any massive land invasion in the meantime. Um, so it's my expectation that's not going to happen. There has to be a ceasefire temporarily to get those hostages. And by the way, there are we're, we're in a situation where there are American hostages, American citizens are being held hostage. It's not just not just Israelis. It's American hostages as well. And uh, you know. Uh, my hope and expectation is that we'll get this hostage deal, we'll bring the Americans home, and the deal is being negotiated now, and uh, we're going to see where it takes us. The center of the impeachment inquiry into you has been indicted for allegedly lying. Your reaction to that, and should the inquiry be dropped? He is lying, and it should be dropped. And it's just been a, it's been an outrageous effort from the beginning. And we did. Oh, and you're acting to join the See in Ohio. And there's President Biden leaving the Roosevelt Room after taking questions from reporters and commenting on the death of Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny. Uh, the apparent death, we should say at this point, hasn't been 100% confirmed, but it, you heard the president say a few moments ago he has no doubt uh, that that has occurred. And our reporters and experts are back with me. Arlette Signs over at the White House, Matthew Chance in London, Jill Doherty, CNN's former Moscow bureau chief. And Arlette, we heard the president say a lot of things yeah. uh, just a few moments ago. He reassured NATO allies that if Russia were to attack any NATO country, that the United States would 
respond forcefully to defend any NATO country that is attacked by Russia. He said that was going to be in response to what Donald Trump said recently, where he said if, if NATO countries aren't spending enough money on common defense, uh, that Russia can do whatever they want. Uh, the president sounding very feisty there and saying that is not going to happen on his watch. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, uh, what we just heard there, Arlette? Well, Jim, President Biden made a whole lot of news on things related to Russia and also on Israel. But on the matter at hand, the death of Alexei Navalny, President Biden came out and said they're still waiting for confirmation. But he has no reason to believe that it's not true, saying, quote, Putin is responsible for Navalny's death. That is something that this administration has been trying to stress over and over over the course of the day. The president calling uh, Navalny a powerful voice for the truth. And not just is he, the president's using this moment uh, to really criticize Putin, not just for for the imprisonment of Navalny, but also his other actions writ large. I think that uh, one thing that the president was asked about is what the consequences might be going forward. Back in 2021, the president told reporters that he directly told Putin there would be devastating consequences if Alexei Navalny were to die in prison. The president went on to say that there's a lot that's changed in those three years, that Russia has lost troops in its war against Ukraine, that the U.S. and allies have imposed sanctions on Russia. He said they're still evaluating what they could do going forward. But I think the president's also using this moment uh, to really highlight the contrast with former President Donald Trump, criticizing Trump once again uh, for suggesting that Putin should be able to do whatever the hell he wants to countries uh, who are not meeting their NATO obligations. This is something that has personally irked President Biden. You've heard that today uh, in his remarks, trying to stress that the U.S. will be there to support NATO allies and condemning uh, Trump uh, for his most recent comments. Yeah, and Arlette, and, and, and let me turn to you, uh, Jill Doherty, because the other thing that the president did with those comments is he went after Republicans up on Capitol Hill and said now is the time to uh, pay for, for foreign aid to Ukraine to make sure that they get enhanced military aid to continue this fight against the Russians. And it was sort of a, you know, a, a very feisty, fierce response after everything, all the events that have unfolded over the last week. Yeah, I mean... I think it was the strongest I've ever heard Biden on, um, you know, Congress going on vacation. He called it bizarre. He was obviously furious. It, he almost, you know, didn't have the words for it. Bizarre and outrageous. Because right now, the, he's trying to make the point that any lack of aid for Ukraine right now, not next week, but now, is a gift to Vladimir Putin. And here you have this indication, you know, of, as, as he would say, the brutality of Putin and the death of Putin's greatest op opponent. Um, what more do you need, I guess, is what he was saying. Yeah. Matthew, any thoughts from you? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this outrage, this criticism and condemnation expressed by President Biden, what we're, we're waiting, it's obviously shared by many people around the world, but also many people inside Russia. But I think what we're waiting for now is to see what reaction there is on the streets of Russia. In the past, Navalny was able to bring tens of thousands of Russians out in protests as part of his anti-corruption campaign. Will we see the same sort of mass protests now that he's dead or appears to be dead? Obviously, we're waiting confirmation of that now. Uh, or will this be yet another um, sign to the Russian opposition that, that protests will not be tolerated and that will have a chilling effect on uh, dissent and on criticism of the Kremlin? We're watching very closely now inside Russia to see what happens. Yeah, that's going to be critical to see what happens next on the ground in Russia, the response to 
uh, the apparent death of Alexei Navalny. We just heard the president's response to all of this. And of course, we'll keep uh, uh, tabs on all of this throughout the afternoon here on CNN. Uh, thanks to all of you. Really appreciate it uh, for uh, your, your insights. Uh, coming up, big uh, breaking political news. Uh, Senator Joe Manchin makes a major announcement. He says he is not running for president. More on that next. Another major headline this hour, Senator Joe Manchin has announced he will not run for president this year. The West Virginia Democrat have been flirting with a third party candidacy. For more, I'm joined now by CNN's Isaac Devere, uh, who broke the story here on CNN. Isaac, uh, how did Manchin explain his decision? Although, uh, Jim, he uh, has been very critical of Republicans and Democrats alike for the, uh, a long time now. And uh, he gave a speech in West Virginia this morning and torched both. But clearly he was upset by what happened with the immigration and border deal, uh, saying uh, that he, he felt like Joe Biden was responsible for the situation at the border. But uh, Donald Trump is 10 times more guilty for not letting Republicans fix it. Uh, he was very disappointed, he said, in his Republican colleagues. And so I think this goes to where Manchin is on this. He's always felt like uh, Joe Biden is a good man, a compassionate man, he says, decent man, he's told me, but that he's gotten too liberal. But he has said he loves his country too much to let Donald Trump be president again. And that seems to be what drove him to this decision. Right. He didn't both sides this one, uh, making this very important decision. And Isaac, I mean, there are others who have said uh, they're running as independent candidates, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. and so on. Is this third party threat still going to be a, as big of a headache for Joe Biden now? I guess that, that remains to be seen. Yeah, look, we'll see how this all develops. The, yeah. the mansion, had he run, would have likely uh, continues if it's a uh, prominent candidate, then maybe no labels will be a threat to Joe Biden. That's what a lot of Democrats fear. These other candidates out there, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. obviously started out running as a Democrat, now running as an independent. He's toying with uh, running as on the libertarian line. There are some who see him as a threat to Joe Biden. There are some who see him as a threat to Donald Trump. Those sums include people who work for Biden and work for Trump. We're not sure exactly how this is going to play out as we go into what looks like a rematch between two candidates that polls show as voters keep saying they don't want, except for the fact that they have chosen Joe Biden as the, their nominee for the Democrats and Donald Trump as their nominee for the Republicans. All right. Uh, thanks very much, Isaac, for that. And thanks very much for joining Inside Politics on this very uh, busy Friday afternoon. CNN News Central starts right now. Have a great day. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.